Welcome to episode 226 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and joining me is Amanda Jayatissa to talk about My Sweet Girl, her debut novel due out from Penguin Random House on September 14th. Thank you so much, Amanda, for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me, Nancy. It's my pleasure to be here. I know I should be saying foie about this, but you're joining me from Sri Lanka, which I think is nothing short of a technological miracle. Not that interviews haven't been conducted between far-flung points of the globe for decades, but that doing so is now open to just about everyone without so much as, as a second thought. And you can sh share what you went through writing this book with whomever wants to listen. I think that that's magnificent. I couldn't agree more. Um, it's actually been very interesting, almost the only silver lining with um, the pandemic, I think, is that a lot of things have been moving online, which has given writers like me who are based so far away access um, to so many events that, you know, weren't really a possibility before. So I managed to, you know, reach out and make connections and network with people from across the world. Um, and I think that's mostly because of this movement towards, um, having things on Zoom and online. It's, it's been fantastic. I know I plan to attend uh, uh, Bloody Scotland, which takes place in Stirling, mm -hmm. Scotland. Uh, this weekend, I'll attend virtually. I have attended in person. Mm -hmm. It is a wonderful event. And so now for 35 pounds, which is considerably less than flying mm -hmm. there from California, I'll be able to see some of my favorite writers and discover other writers. So you're, you're mm -hmm. right. If there, if there is, there is nothing good about this pandemic, but perhaps uh, we've grown a bit. Mm -hmm. So right. first I'm going to note that talking about uh, your, my sweet girl is going to require some very deft tiptoeing because it will <laughs> surprise you. <laughs> um uh, it will the book will surprise you and if anyone had even hinted at the ending to me I would have cried so stop me if you think I'm drifting into any territory that might introduce any spoilers and and I'm sure you wrote the book you know what I'm talking about <laughs> yes I, I think the person to worry about the most is me I, I tend to stick my foot in it sometimes <laughs> so I'll be mindful also <laughs> So My Sweet Girl is getting some serious buzz, and, and for good reason. Uh, it is a seriously creepy book in all the right ways. What struck me was, in spite of the language being the third decade of the 21st century, spot on, was how Bronte-esque, by way of maybe Kipling, the story was. And you do give a nod uh, to the Brontes in the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask, were Charlotte, Emily, and Elizabeth, uh, and maybe Anne, inspirations at all, and maybe Rudyard? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, not consciously at first. Um, so when the, I, I knew that, that the girls would be discussing a book, and I knew that this love of books would come in, because that is, again, very much a nod to my own childhood and you know, someone as someone who really grew up loving reading a lot, it seemed very natural to create this conflict around a book. Um, and when I was trying to come up with a title 
or, or that I would use. I thought I'd use Wuthering Heights because it was my mother's favorite book. Um, my mother passed away 11 years ago and uh, Wuthering Heights was something that she had me read around the same time, um, around the same age, when I was around the same age as the girls were, so around 11, 12. Um, and it was something we did together. So it seemed like a really nice nod to her. Uh, but as we went on, I realized how much um, of the stories that you read, even from the Bronte sisters, um, you know, with Jane Eyre, uh, how much these themes of orphans tend to come in. And then that naturally obviously found its way into the book because it was set at an orphanage. So that, that just made sense to do so. I won't discuss too much of the Jane Eyre um, angle again, spoilers and things like that, but uh, it, it, it was a very interesting um, thing that I didn't do consciously. It was almost on that third, fourth round of edits where these themes started to emerge. And I was like, oh, okay, I can understand where these Gothic elements sort of seem to weave their way into the story. And then when I realized that I started playing it up a little bit and it was a lot of fun. Well, Gothic is a very good word and I actually, had put it in and then struck it out. So I'm glad you brought it up because as I said, the language is, is right there. It's, it's current. Your character, uh, Paloma, who is the My Sweet Girl of the title, um, mm -hmm. is very much a 21st century young woman. She's 30 years old mm -hmm. uh, as the book starts. And we should explain that she was an orphan who was adopted by a wealthy Caucasian couple who supported the orphanage where she was living in Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, she's an interesting, she is an interesting, uh, <laughs> unreliable narrator. Uh, she is in her own category of unreliable narrators because she's seen a therapist She's on medication and drinking more than she should, which is not at all because of the medication. Mm -hmm. uh, she's being blackmailed by her roommate, who she discovers murdered. Now, I'm, I, this all happens very early in the book, so I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Paloma calls the police because she's very much a 21st century person that lives in San Francisco. When they show up, the bodies disappeared. So she is not sure what she's seen and what she isn't seeing. And mm -hmm. uh, that must have been an interesting character to write. It certainly was. <laughs> the unreliable nature of Paloma for me was interesting. Um, just because how almost, and this is a sad um, thing that I noticed. It wasn't something that made me made me happy but it was an observation that I made um, how easy it was to make a woman appear unreliable um, and I think yes as a modern day woman but even like women all along like you you look at any of the the gothic novels of the past like what's the thing that comes up a woman has noticed something she has her suspicions and oh surprise surprise no one believes her um, and it's come to a point now in sort of this modern world i mean she's not even believing herself she it's come to that point she doesn't even trust herself um, and what struck me as really 
funny yet very sad is how easy it was for me to come up with a character like that. How often do we see women um, with certain issues that they might be dealing with? And we put it down to, oh, they've got mental health issues or they've got, you know, substance abuse issues or there's something going on with her. She's got issues. Um, And the fact that she has an issue that everybody's got issues, right? Um, And uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone that doesn't. Um, But we then take that issue and then we have that cloud everything else to a point where we, I mean, we see that with Paloma and I think we'd notice that with ourselves. Um, I mean, there were times, uh, even for me during this pandemic, for instance, there are times that I'm doubting myself. I'm like, oh, do I feel this way? Or am I feeling this way because of something else? And you're starting to doubt the way you, you think and you feel. Um, and I think this happens more with women. Um, well, so I, I, it's, it's interesting that, that you bring up the pandemic because yes, you certainly, uh, I, I mean, I've had trouble negotiating the space time continuum as in <laughs> what day is it? it, it it's uh-huh. really, it's Tuesday. Well, for you, it's Wednesday, but, but seriously, this is uh, so, uh, to me, this was a very good book to read for the times uh, because Paloma was such a compelling character. And although unreliable uh, narrator, uh, mm-hmm. sympathetic because uh, we should say that she spent her early years in a Sri Lankan orphanage. Not that that was like a horrible Mackenzie mm-hmm. experience. There wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of money, but the girls were treated. It's in your book. The girls were treated well. They didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of extras, but they had. They certainly were fed and educated. They had books. Um, I, I didn't get the impression in reading the that part of the story because you mm-hmm. toggle between uh, fifteen years, what 10, 15 years previous, and then. Um, no, longer than that, um, and so, present day between Paloma's life in Sri Lanka and, and her life in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not, I can't remember the point of this, this question, but <laughs> it, seems, it seems that she has a lot to process. Mm-hmm. Her life in Sri Lanka and the just total difference of her life in California, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and you could speak to that because you grew up in Sri Lanka and then attended university in California, mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. was it a, just a, a complete culture shock? It's an, it was an interesting culture shock. It wasn't as stark as I think perhaps people in the West might Um, expected to be because we did grow up heavily exposed to American culture, right? So a lot of the movies that we watched, um, a lot of the books that we read, I mean, even for me, uh, I don't obviously mention this in My Sweet Girl at all, but but for myself, you know, um, you grow up reading things like The Babysitter's Club and, and Sweet Valley. So you are very much aware of what American culture is like. Um, the thing that really struck me is how 
out of place I felt about things that were completely unexpected. Um, you know, things that I didn't really think about too much, like like my accent, for example, or um, the fact that people would come up to me all the time and ask me questions like, oh, where did you learn to speak English from? Um, you know, th those are the things that I wasn't expecting because you don't really see that, right? You don't see the, the brown uh, girl in <laughs> Sweet Valley there, there. I don't know if, if there even was one. And so you don't really see that angle of things. Um, so you sort of uh, read Sweet Valley thinking, hey, all right, great. Um, I'm going to be just like these, these Wakefield twins, right? I'm, I'm going to put on makeup and I'm going to go to the mall and um, do all like the fun stuff that's happening in the book. Um, except when you get there, you realize that you don't exactly fit in as seamlessly as you thought. Like the thought that I would be considered different or othered in any way wasn't something that even crossed my mind when I was applying to go to university. And um, I think it has to be said that I did come from, um, I grew up in Colombo and I you know, went to international school. So I had quite a privileged upbringing in that sense. Um, so yeah, yeah we'd, we'd traveled, um, I, I'd been to the US before when I was 16. So I was a little bit more um, attuned to things, I would say, as opposed to my characters but um even for them i we at a very young age you are exposed to so much of american culture that it isn't a culture shock in the way you would expect right the the, the shock comes from things like um okay, you'd go you might go to an indian restaurant and start eating with your hands and have everyone look at you aghast <laughs> like why are you eating with your hands that's not how things are done you know like little things like that is what makes an impact. We should mention that Colombo is the capital of Sri Lanka. Yes, yes it is. There's this idea of this of the orphanage and the idea that uh, these wealthy uh, Caucasians couple comes to adopt my mm -hmm. sweet girl and and it seemed as I was reading it once again it, it this is I don't think you intended it or you did it very subtly. It was not a sinister thing. And yet it really creeped me out. This <laughs> idea of the, a lineup of, of young girls to be adopted by this couple, which this couple uh, was also financially supporting the orphanage. And, and it's hard to be critical of that. Mm -hmm. But exactly. Uh, but I found, I just found the idea of, of that, both from the point of view from the, of the couple that adopts Paloma to the girls trying to vie for their attention mm -hmm. to get chosen. Right. And, and I'm really glad you brought that up, Nancy. It's, um, it's something I grapple with myself. I think I, um, I've spent a lot of time volunteering and helping out at orphanages. It's, it's very much actually a part of, I think, um, Sri Lankan culture uh, to be involved in, in charities and things like that. So growing up, um, you know, we've always sort of gone volunteered at orphanages, spent a lot of time. Um, I mean, personally, um, even within my family, there's a lot of support to specific orphanages and things like that. And, um, and firstly, let me say that like this, this sinister element um, of orphanages, it, it, it isn't something you see very often here. Most of the time, the orphanage. It was like very sub. It was very subterranean. I think mm -hmm. I think it was mostly 
uh, this it felt that way from the perception of uh, looking at it like from above, like mm-hmm. this is this is, there's something peculiar about it. <laughs> right. And um, so, so the interesting thing about the say the, this aspect of a performance right um by the girls where you know when a foreign couple is coming in and they feel like they have to almost like that sing for their supper kind of mentality that's there um that's something that i see with a lot of charities in general and it's sad but it's also almost a reality right we we see this um charities encourage um you know like posting like on on instagram like they'll have an instagram page with like pictures of the kids being cute and that's great because that in turn um encourages donations and things like that and while it it makes me uncomfortable it is the reality of the situation so it's something i grapple with it's one of those almost like necessary i don't know if it's necessary but it it doesn't feel right yet if you don't sort of display this in a specific way, how do people know then to, to donate, to, to help out the orphanage? How do you do that? How do you strike that balance when you are so dependent on donations, especially foreign donations? How do you get the word out? Um, well, no, I was going to say, it, do, it doesn't feel right, but as you pointed out, it's very, very real. Mm, and it's something that happens, and you see that, I mean, you see that with orphanages, you see that with, with so many other charities, you see that with um, with sort of, uh, we call them in Sri Lanka, we call them beggars, but they're really uh, the homeless population where, um, you know, everyone's seen sort of slumberdog millionaire, right? Where uh, it was absolutely harrowing the things that they would do and there'd be these organized groups and they would be putting up a performance um, in order to make their money. And, and it's something, I mean, that you see even here, and is that what's happening is that everyone's putting up some sort of performance to, to try and earn something, to try and get by. And it's deeply uncomfortable and deeply unsettling. But it, it, it is that reality. And it's, it's something that upsets me a great deal. And I, I, I can go on about this for a long time. No, but I think, I think you're making some valid points because this is, um, without giving away too much of what happens in the book, this is sort of the crux of everything. This yeah. battle within Paloma between her early life and her late life. This, mm-hmm. you know, this conflict, which, which kind of rolls into uh, a troubled young adulthood. Mm-hmm. So, it was, you know, as I mentioned, the, the story toggles uh, between San Francisco and Sri Lanka and between uh, Paloma's early life and and her sort of present day. And, you know, Booklist mentioned that the story is seeped in white savior syndrome, religious hypocrisy and mental health system failures. And so just from our discussion, I think one of the three, uh, of those three, the jumping off point might've been white white savior syndrome. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, did this story kind of evolve from that idea of Caucasian couples from abroad coming to Sri Lanka and choosing children to adopt, to take to a, you know, air quotes, better life? 
it's again it wasn't something that happened consciously it was so so the way i write is um i'm a big fan nancy of of those big plot twists and those big reveals um so so for me that's the the focal point and where i start when i when i write the story so um for me i had this idea in mind actually i was working on something completely different um that had this same sort of big reveal and that wasn't working so then i kind of scrapped that and then you know put that in here and um it initially everything just started off as a way of how do i get to this this particular big reveal right that's all it is the the themes and the 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 commentary the social commentary are all things that weave their way in um on later drafts it it's not something that i consciously approach because and, and i think if if i were to approach it that way the story would have been a little different um i it it's almost a i don't want to be one of those people making like blanket statements right because mm-hmm. i have spoken to numerous um especially women who've been adopted um by white families and um you know you you get very mixed stories most of them absolutely love their families and don't really feel um you know other or or uh, or feel uncomfortable in in any way they they love their families and are very grateful for the new lives that they have um i do see this i i have also though come across quite a few of these stories where people would go up to say these white families that have adopted from other african countries or from asian countries and you know really put them up on a pedestal you know called them angels and saviors and things like that and i have seen a big mix so it's um i think it would be unfair on me to make this blanket statement like everyone that does it thinks a certain way most people go into this with i think very very good intentions um right at the end of the day the intentions are good it's just sometimes the execution gets a little flawed depending on what you've been exposed to and how your your thinking pattern is and so a lot of the time it's these are mistakes that are made um not consciously right there there might be things like if if you grow up in a certain society and are exposed to certain things it's only natural that you would behave a certain way and that applies i think to all cultures across the board right so mm-hmm. um you you sometimes you can't it's very difficult I, and i don't think i'm in that position that i can like point fingers and blame anyone or say like oh you know all people are like this because that's not true um it's just i things comments that i have noticed come up in certain scenarios that i liked to sneak in there well as <laughs> as as is often said the the road to hell is paved with good intentions <laughs> that is true <laughs> one of the interesting uh i want to talk a little bit about some of the characters and first i want to talk about um paloma's parents because mm-hmm. we only see them through her recollection of them mm-hmm. both when she meets them initially in Sri Lanka and uh, they are away when the book opens she's in San Francisco mm-hmm. her parents are away um they're pretty important characters in the story and yet they remain in the wings and so mm-hmm. just from a process point of view how difficult was it to write a story where such important characters never really 
enter into the into the um for me it wasn't that difficult because when i was writing paloma i was deeply deeply immersed in paloma which actually didn't make me a very um nice person to live with at the time like you, you mentioned that in your notes yeah <laughs> yeah um but uh when i write that's i i this is why i love writing in first person because i feel that everything else doesn't matter what only matters is the pers- the, the the narrator's perception of what's going on it i don't care then about how other people might see it how other people might analyze paloma's relationship with her parents um none of that matters all that matters is how does paloma feel at that time how did she feel about her parents and you could actually see um at least how i saw it when when i was in paloma's head or paloma was in my head we never really know um, <laughs> Uh, but but how I approach it is Paloma doesn't harbor a bitterness towards her parents in any way. Um, there were these micro microaggressions, but she's very I feel almost matter of fact about it. Like like I was when I first went to the U.S. and um, faced certain microaggressions. I wasn't really sure what I mean that that term is something that's very new, right? At the mm-hmm. time, you don't even know what it means. All you know is that someone says something. and you laugh along or you agree along because you've been sort of socialized into behaving that way even though it leaves you feeling kind of icky, icky. or wrong inside um so so that's how i um envisioned paloma reacting to certain things and um but her relationship with her parents is a little bit more matter of fact she is grateful for the fact that they have given her a better life and she says it she's like i only have some semblance of a social life because my mom taught me how to dress and told me not to put coconut oil in my hair you know yes while those things might be microaggressions they did help her in middle school so it again it's that like is it fair is it okay is it not i don't know well that's part of the book i mean that's that's part of looking at paloma and understanding the the journey she's taken these are so if once my our listeners have read the book which i sincerely hope they do these are some these are some wonderful wonderful characters mhm um they went they're very uh, so the way they speak and the way they react i feel is is quite sri lankan um in the sense i mean in in the way there's dialogue and in the way they um you know dealt with the girls and the way um you know certain uh decisions were made uh a, a thing that i wanted to be very conscious of when i was writing the sri lankan scenes especially was that um was this i did that it was not this systematically evil place or this systematically sinister place right so with the orphanage um the the creepy factor really comes more from these ghost stories that the girls would whisper which is again very typical um so mohini is a typical sri lankan ghost story she is one of our most popular urban legends uh my favorite ghost story growing up um you know so uh we uh would whisper this around a candle when we were kids and it just seemed very natural for me to include mohini and all these creepy elements um in um the story as well so 
what what happens? I mean, obviously, towards the end of the book is like hard choices had to be made, and when the hard choices had to be made, it's you know, I don't know how to say this without sneaking in any spoilers. Well, but I think it, it, I think the hard choices had to be made. I, I I don't feel that that was. I think once again, you you said some of the things about the orphanages were sad, and some of them were real. Mm-hmm. And the hard choices were real. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And it's sort of what do you um, what do you prioritize, uh, and and who do you prioritize when faced with difficult situations? So, um, you know, there's nothing in the orphanage that's happening that is it, it's not like systematically corrupt, or there's no like institutional issues there, except for what we've discussed already, obviously. Um, but it's it's not something that is like this evil place. Um, Not at all. As a matter of fact, the girls, in your description of the girls telling the ghost stories and going to class and, and, and their interactions with each other, those could have been girls anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, I, and I really wanted to do that because I thought back a lot to, so it was very funny. I think writing the, the, in the 12-year-old's uh, voice was a little challenging. Um, for me at first so what I did was I pulled out all my diaries I, I, I always kept diaries and journals and things like that so I pulled them out from uh, you know when I was roughly around that age and it was so funny because some of the conversations were just literally lifted out of my diary and just just chucked in there right um, so you know about about actors and and cricketers and oh like did you see what that person said that person is so weird and you might say those things as children not really understanding the the deeper repercussions of um you know thinking that one of your your peers are behaving strange or that something's wrong so well you know i thought the girls there's there's one there's one of the orphans that's in the in the orphanage that Mm -hmm. has some serious problems and i thought for the most part everybody was as kind to her as they could be mm-hmm. um, until was, they weren't also <laughs> and they weren't they were kids mm-hmm. exactly but, and that was that was the interesting thing is that i think um sometimes it, it's just one of those things you notice is that kids tend to well, the kids can be mean sometimes right um and some of them have mean streaks in them and some of them are not as understanding as could be and there was a bit of that then you see tensions of that in the orphanage as well paloma herself has certain um you know rubs um uh, one of the other girls the wrong way sometimes and we we see a little bit of that conflict which i think is very normal for 12 year olds um anywhere yeah exactly and and as my 12 year old uh, diaries just <laughs> the the interesting thing for me was the contrast almost between the characters you get in Sri Lanka and the characters you would meet in the Bay Area and um, obviously both sets of characters are very real to me who's lived in in both parts of the world and um, you know what none of them were big exaggerations on it I mean they were pretty realistic as to how they would I think react Um, but then what I had a lot of fun doing, actually the most fun, was introducing Sam uh, or Saman, who was from Sri Lanka, into this Bay Area 
um, scene and watching how then he would react. Because again, it, this was based on when I was in San Francisco, I would sometimes, you know, bump into other Sri Lankans and there was so much excitement. It's like, oh, Lanka Vigda, which is, means like, are you from Sri Lanka? And everyone would get um, very, very excited about it. And that's largely because Sri Lanka is a very, very small country. Um, so the chances of bumping into someone from India, while well, they would be very high, the chances of bumping into someone random who's from Sri Lanka is that the chances are very, very slim to none. Um, so, so that excitement was something I had a lot of fun, including um, into the story because uh, they were again based on real life incidents that, that I'd faced. And, and Sam is, I think Sam is hands down my favorite character in the whole thing. He was so much fun uh, to write and, you know. <laughs> he's very, he's, he does add uh, this, el an element of, of sweetness. Uh, he's, mm -hmm. he's, he's a really nice guy. We, we really can't talk a lot about Sam. Mm -hmm. Yes. But it is, he is a nice, he is a nice counterpoint to Paloma. And I really loved that. I loved how she was, she's very hard because she's almost had to develop this, this shell being who she is and growing up the way she did. And then she meets this, you know, sweet marshmallow of a guy and then she finds that some of her walls are slowly coming down as well and that was for me um just such a nice thing to write this this softness that he brings about or that he manages to coax out of her and I think that was it was a lot of fun and also challenging in a way because I'm not um I I don't think I'm very good at writing anything that's um too sensitive <laughs> or, or romantic in, in any way. And, um, you know, so sometimes I find myself uh, uh, like cringing. I'm like, oh, is that, is that right? Like, how did that balance go? Oh, was that too cheesy? Was that okay? But I loved Sam because I feel like I could put all those cringy, cheesy things that I'd normally be so self-conscious about saying um, or writing. And I could just put it all into this, this one character. And I loved it. It was so much fun. Well, he is, he is a marshmallow. You, you made a good, good analogy. So I have to say, it's not uh, as if you're lacking in things to do. You're, you are a corporate trainer. You own a chain of cookie stores and you have two dogs, huskies. Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I have a couple of questions about that. First, what kind of cookies <laughs> um, the delicious kind <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it was, it's, a, my husband is uh, very, very gifted in the kitchen. And oh, uh, when we moved, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I count my blessings every day. Um, and when we, uh, we were living in the UK and when we moved back to Sri Lanka, it was just like this comment I made. I was like, oh, I really miss, um, you know, those like soft, chewy cookies because they weren't for sale um, here in Colombo. And he was like, oh, I could make you those. I was like, yes, please. Um, and, uh, you know, and they were really delicious and they, they were so good. I was like, oh, these are so good. You could sell them. And he's like, yeah, you know what? No one sells them here. Do you, do you want to try? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, all the enthusiasm that, you know, one has in their early 20s. Um, and, uh, yeah, we managed to find like a really tiny little space in a popular mall. And we were so naive about the whole thing when it started we were like okay so 
we could make the dough on Fridays. We can make Fridays be our, you know, production day. And then the rest of the week, we could just go to the store and we can sell, um, you know, we can like, we, we freeze the dough and then we can like thaw it out and we can bake it and we can sell it. So everything is freshly baked. And we thought that would be a really um, easy, workable plan. And then and on our very first day, we sold out of the entire stock that we'd made for the entire week. And we were like, great, it was just him and me in our kitchen every night, like making up batches of dough. Um, so yeah, it, it took off. We didn't expect it to take off. It just started off as a fun experiment. Um, and now here we are. So it's been fun. It's been a, a very fun, wild ride. <laughs> and I would expect that My Sweet Girl is your debut novel, debut published novel. So mm -hmm. are you working on another book? I. And there is um, a book too. Uh, I don't know how much I can speak about that yet, but um, we're just wrapping it up actually, my editor uh, and I. Um, so it is, I can say it is set in Colombo, but a very different Colombo to what you would see in My Sweet Girl, because that was sort of set in an orphanage. And um, this next book is set in, most high society Colombo uh, and centers around a Sri Lankan wedding, which is um, quite the, uh, it, it, the Sri Lankan weddings are big. <laughs> they're, it, it, they're quite an event usually. So, um, and it is a suspense um, thriller and um, I am, having a lot of fun writing it. it. It takes place almost entirely in Sri Lanka. So that's been um, a lot of fun for me to write and also a different angle um, than My Sweet Girl. So it's, it's been fun. I've had so much fun writing it. Well, one of the wonderful things about the crime fiction genre is we get to meet some interesting people and we get to go all over the world because, mm -hmm. uh, so thank you for writing that. And thank you so much for your time and for talking to us about your book, it, 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 it is really hard to talk about without spoiling, but it is <laughs> so good. And uh, thank you for writing it. And thank you for talking to me about it. Oh, no, uh, thank you so much for having me, Nancy. This has um, been such a pleasure. Uh, it's always really fun um, to come and talk about this, uh, to come out and talk about the book, because like you said, it's almost like there are a bunch of landmines. It's like, how do you navigate your way through without just you know, saying something uh, that will ruin the experience for anyone. So it, it's been fun and it's been fun doing it with you because you've been so attuned to it. It's been great. <laughs> well, thank you for those kind words. Of